Hello and welcome to the Grand Cinema Hotel, a podcast hosted by two friends who love cinema. Tonight you'll be staying in room 168, Bo is Afraid, the one-of-a-kind odyssey directed by Ari Aster. So go ahead, throw on that Do Not Disturb sign as we get wildly uncomfortable with Bo is Afraid. I am so sorry for what your daddy passed down to you. I wanted a child. I'm visiting my mother tomorrow. Do you ever wish that she was dead? What? Bo? Are you on your way? I'm on my way. I just... It's not safe, is it? I sincerely doubt that. I'm sure you'll do the right thing, sweetheart. Mama's boys, and thank you for checking back in to the Grand Cinema Hotel. I'm Gus. As always, I'm joined by Alvaro. What's up, guys? And before we get started, make sure you like, comment, subscribe, press all the buttons, do whatever you got to do. We're here today to talk, or well, tonight, to talk about a highly anticipated movie for the both of us, uh, continuing Ari Aster April, Bo is Afraid. Uh, This has been a long time coming for us. We've been excited for what feels like two years now, Mm -hmm. and we barely had anything going into... Anything to really hold on to when we were going into this. I feel like we had a couple trailers, but they were very, very like uh, close to the release of the movie. Mm-hmm. We really just had the poster. Um, so this is one of those films that took us a long time to get where we were just thinking about what it was going to be like. And I'm going to throw it to you, Alvaro. Uh, did you have high expectations and do you feel like they were met? Um, I, I, I guess I want to just comment first on what you were saying Um about the anticipation mm-hmm. um it was similar kind of to obviously it wasn't meant to be that way but the green knight where um due to the you know this thing called the pandemic I've it, heard. it got shifted right yeah and it, it became a hype thing for us for a long time where there wasn't much and it almost seemed like it's just gonna get made and then once it did get shown it was only like a couple months like two months until it actually got released um so in that way i guess i actually really prefer in all honesty, even though at the time I get really anxious about it when movies are kind of done this way, because then I really think I'd have nothing to really walk into expecting. And um, the expectations for this film, I guess, um, I, I would say that they they were not what I expected, but they were met, if that makes any sense. Yeah, I, I get you. I feel kind of in a similar boat to you where... Um well, I want to start off by saying we both really like this movie. Is yeah. that safe to say? Yeah. Okay. So even though we both really liked the movie, I feel like there are certain things about it. Maybe the way the hype train was set up to, I don't know. The, the, they made it seem like it was going to be the weirdest movie you've ever seen, a complete mind fuck. And while I do think it is those things, um, maybe this is just the type of like humor, because this is a comedy movie, uh, the type of humor that we're already kind of attuned to. Mm-hmm. So I don't really find it to be um, the craziest thing I've ever seen. I like that, you know? yeah. But I do think it's still a very good movie while also um, really leaning into the absurd and the surrealism. But we've dabbled in this kind of stuff before, so it also wasn't this thing I couldn't comprehend. Like I feel like some people are kind of... Uh, putting out there yeah i will say i have uh, two things to kind of just add to what you're saying that i've been really sitting and pondering about um we opened this podcast 
the beginning of it with something like Titan, which I think in all reality is kind of drawing more into you won't believe this shit actually happened, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so, okay, we're, we're like you said, we're tuned to this kind of stuff. This is the stuff that we actually go to the movies for. I know me and you have like a bias for these type of movies because, uh, you know, cinema sickos, as they say. Like, this is what I seek for in movies. Like, this the is something non- weird. Okay, plus two already. Yeah, ex- exactly. Yeah. Like, okay, I'm gonna, oh, people are divisive about this. I'm gonna go see it. But, I will say that um, maybe this is a little surprising if you're expecting the Ari Aster that has become one of the most influential directors at the moment. Um, and in terms of that comes from, he, I feel like, and you've, I think we brought this up in previous episodes, him kind of spearheading um, A24s, as, which is a whole other thing of people kind of giving it this uh, type of values or type of things that the A24 films have. But I feel like Hereditary spearheaded the elevated horror um, genre, whatever that was for a little bit. And that's why I say he's one of the most influential because we got so many ripoffs of his movies after that. Mm-hmm. They really, and um, I think for him to kind of come out with the Jordan Peele kind of um, beginning, I think he just really set the tone. And then he got director, someone like Martin Scorsese to really just say and vouch for his films. Um, but Bo is Afraid, I think, is kind of more returning to the stuff that was before those movies. Um, kind of like, what was it, Meet the Johnsons, right? Is the movie. Oh, there's something strange about the Johnsons. Johnsons. Yeah. I feel like this movie is him. Me, like, I tricked you guys. Like, this is the type of stuff that I actually would make if you guys gave me the money. And um, so I don't think if you really think of the whole scope of everything, I think this is kind of what you could expect the second that he removed himself maybe from fully leaning into the horror genre which i think maybe that's where people were sidestepped and maybe expected him to keep going to his um formula that we've kind of set up for him but he's Ari Aster, um and i think he kind of understands that he has maybe that backing of really good filmmakers and people who look up to him and i think formulaic is not what he wants to become and i think bo is afraid is I, i'm just really amazed that it got made um, I don't think ever in our life, well, maybe it's a long stretch, but I don't, re- I really don't know if in our lifetime we will get an IMAX release of a movie like this. Like previous or you're saying after this? After this. Like, I don't think a movie of this type of caliber and what the movie is about um, and the divisiveness that it will have will end up taking up IMAX screens for, it's like two weeks, right? Yeah, exactly. Um, you know, to kind of to go off of that, I'm thinking of a comparison of maybe something from back in the day if they had if they had the capabilities of IMAX, be like uh I don't know, if the Holy Mountain was an IMAX yeah. movie or, or mm-hmm, something like mm-hmm. that. You know, those are wildly different. They're not anywhere near the same, but I was just trying to kind of set a bar for the type of weird that would be an IMAX, right? And the reason I, I say that is because this is, is coming off of A24, even establishing itself more as a name. After everything, everywhere all at once, people kind of expect these movies to have a um, a resonating feeling with the general audience where everybody kind of can see what, oh, I see where this is going or I see what this is saying. And for them to completely take, uh, I wouldn't say that trust because this is, this is why I like them or we're like, let me show you this stuff. I think it's the only studio who probably would have trusted Ari Aster enough to give him this and they watched it and like and I, I feel like um the certain type of um film audience that 
usually would vouch for their films i think is really into this but i think that the fact that it's an imax release and after everything that's happened um the general audience kind of always i've noticed kind of tends to go for what's on imax right that's the biggest movie that's probably out yeah well, uh, at least the a-listers or people who have memberships and things like yeah because like how, why are you not going to take advantage of that right? exactly and i think that that's where the film's going to have the most divisiveness i think the general audience is going to just be like what the you know what the fuck is this see this is kind of already uh hopping into the box office talk but i don't mind doing that now um i don't know if there's going to be a general audience for this movie Mm. you know like this although a24 is getting bigger and more well known and this is not an indie movie this is a mid-budget movie it's 35 million dollars um I don't know if this is something like a general audience member would want to see. Like if you had seen a trailer for this and you were, I don't know, 45 years old or whatever, would this really be something that interests you or would, or if you're not a Joaquin Phoenix fan or, you know, like I'm having kind of a hard time after watching this thinking that your average Joe at work is going to be like, Hey, I went and saw Bo is afraid this weekend. I think though, um, what? You know, I wish I wish that's the world we lived in where the, you know your average coworker has seen movies like this. The only reason I think it does have more pull than any of the other movies you might talk about in similar scope um, is because Ari Aster's fans have shown up for the other previous two. We talked about that in the yeah. two other episodes. That for some reason Ari Aster has a, a Hereditary was enough of a general audience movie to still have people who go for his name. And I think uh, the fact that it's on IMAX, people will kind of go out and seek and watch this movie but i don't think that um they will know how to walk out feeling after this movie i i I could see a lot of people just walking out midway of this movie and it's funny because i was having a you know twitter argument with somebody about that where they're like this is the first movie i've walked out of in my whole life and they were just saying they renfield was five times the movie that this was so i i do feel like that's gonna be (laughs) you know we'll talk about that after but i do think that um that is a valid but for some reason i think that's a valid opinion even though i completely disagree but i think that that's how a lot of people are gonna feel and um i usually you know before we like uh, we always talk about uh, the billy and mandy meme like you don't understand this movie i don't think it is that i just think like you're not into this stuff man yeah i was gonna say for as much as we are willing to go to bat for like no we're right about this and you're wrong and you don't understand artistically like the green knight expressing yeah yeah exactly where i'm like no you don't get it this is one of the best movies of the past 10 years yeah exactly um i don't think i'd be willing to do that for this movie uh speaking of the audiences and things like that how how we have been um we mentioned in one of the previous two episodes about ari aster that he's not really the most accessible filmmaker mm-hmm. and not that that's an issue at all because like you said we're like cinema sickos right we're like yeah. okay yeah give me the uncomfortable weird shit or um even the way you play with narrative structure hmm, i find that interesting <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah uh i don't know if that's something that uh it's like i'm meeting you halfway and like okay i i accept my i accept the situation i release myself to you and go ahead and take me on this wild ride surrender to the silver screen surrender to the screen right (laughs) Uh, i don't know if uh a lot of people are really going to the movies for that no you know it's kind of like punching a ticket like okay it had a beginning a middle and an end i laughed i cried whatever you know like maybe that's why i could understand why someone would think renfield is five times the movie is it's conventional it's a movie yeah yeah it's uh, conventional you know it isn't really trying to push any boundaries 
Um, and the safety aspect too, right? It's like people kind of want that safe bet of like, I'm going to go see this and it'll probably be okay. And they don't know what to expect in a movie like this. And either do I, as someone who goes to the movies, you know, <laughs> quite often, know, you know, we go to the movies a lot, right? Yeah. At least four or five times a month, sometimes even more than that. We're watching movies <sighs> every day. And even I felt like this movie was unlike, uh, Anything. Like anything I've seen, I don't want to say ever, but just like a culmination. It was a culmination of so many things that it still felt original. I Does yeah, that make sense? no, yeah, yeah. I, I I would vouch for the movie that I haven't. It obviously draws from a lot, and when you talked about it, I was like, yeah, actually, I do see a lot of that. But I think the the way that it's made and everything, I I haven't seen a movie made like that. You know, where it's taking up to the tension. I think some of the things that other movies would. There's always like a audience. Um, kind of like explainer in movies like this right where they kind of even put it in some aspect and you know you end up finding out that and Bo was really on drugs the whole time or yeah. uh he's actually in a straitjacket in a in, in a saying asylum don't worry it was a dream yeah yeah <laughs> yeah or um you'll see a perspective from another person looking in right and they'll be like oh he's imagining that way but it's actually just it's just actually an ant running you know it's so whatever um but this movie does nothing like that. Does this it like, movie doesn't hold your hand and try to guide you. It doesn't validate anything for you. It doesn't explain anything for you. Um, and I don't think you even walk out with a feel like that character. He's just like me. There's no, no you don't want to be just like this. <laughs> There's this no the, character. He is not me. This is the ultimate, like, he is not him movie. You yeah. know what I mean? I mean, you had shared a comment that somebody who didn't like the movie again, it kind of talked about, like, I have a really good relationship with my mother. And, you know, I've had sex, so I don't understand this movie. Um, Which, again, I just think for any other movie, it'd be like, what a stupid-ass fucking reaction. But I think um, the smart answer there is something like that, I guess. And it's just as funny to me. So I do think that Ari Aster, in his sick little mind, was trying to make a movie that would make people feel like that. Like I'm not, Mm -hmm. I'm giving him the benefit of the doubt there that that was the mission statement. So anytime I felt something weird, I would feel kind of like, well, this was meant to be this way. Right. Yeah. You know? So it's like, Oh, he's so pathetic. He's so awful. He's such a loser. Like I can't connect with this guy at all. But then I'm thinking to myself, I'm like, well, that was the point that I'm not supposed to. So it's like, you're succeeding because I do think this guy is a giant fucking loser. Like in the Ari Aster behind the scenes interview with a 24, that was like his mission statements. Like I wanted to put you in the shoes of a loser, complete loser, you know, like, so some of you don't even need to go see this movie. You'll be fine. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I I just think it was funny when we were watching it. uh, You leaned over to me, but he has the perfect loser suit. Like, yeah, you know? yeah, like, even down, like the perfect little character details down to the exact outfit he's wearing. It's like this monochromatic, like gray washed out jeans, gray washed out shirt. He just, you know, gray hair, pale skin. He just looks completely. What I was going to say, right? too, is like even the fact that um, how his hair is receding and how he has his hair right it's just the ultimate like oh my god what a loser yeah what a loser (laughs) (laughs) um which is interesting just because um i because i interestingly enough i watched this one a little a couple days before you um holding my tongue in for this was really hard because i didn't really know when um to talk about it with but it was just the fact that i was really interested to see when we walked out of the movie how you would feel about it uh because 
I, when I first walked out of it, I think it took me like 30 minutes to really sit and ponder of, um, I think we had talked about this for other movies. I think you said it for Lamb. Is do I like this movie? Do I love this movie? Or do I not like this movie? <laughs> like, yeah. I, I was so, you know, it took me 30 minutes to sit there and be like, I, I could see valid criticisms. I could see things here. It's too long, all these things. Um, but at the end of the day, like, I was just laughing a lot in this movie. I just, it was so absurd. And um, there's everything in this movie. It's very similar to, it's just really funny that everything, everywhere all at once, but it just really goes a lot of places. Um, was it necessary? Uh, well, I guess a What's lot of the points, yeah, I guess a lot of points usually is it goes necessary to the story. Well, what if the story is that he's a fucking loser? So it was necessary because I, <laughs> I saw how much of an anxiety filled loser he is. Um, so in the aspect of what, all that we're saying, I, yeah, I did really like. I did really like so, it. So one of the reasons I really like this is because although this is getting a little ahead of myself, I do not like this more than the other two. So this is his third best movie to me, but also that is on a different scale than most movies. He's a Martin Scorsese scale for you, right? Like it's, where his third best or movie, like Quentin Tarantino, yeah, like his <laughs> worst movie is like still better than most people's greatest movie that they've ever made you know <laughs> yeah. so the reason i like it so much obviously is joaquin phoenix for one yeah but i think that you can still see the progression of ari aster getting even better at his craft i agree um the way he you know we talked about before that he's a very expressionistic filmmaker very emotional filmmaker um i do think his three main characters the more he uh or like you know the more movies he's made the main characters become these like conveyors of emotion in ways that he couldn't do the last time right so like mm -hmm. i thought in hereditary you know the very melodramatic big crying right in the the loud performance versus danny's kind of walking the line between internal and external outbreaks right i do think now with joaquin phoenix and maybe it's just because this was his like like his twin flame, you know what I mean? Like actor director. I do think they understood each other on a level that you don't really get in every movie that, um, so much of the character of Bo is just not even expressing him. Not, well, not, I don't want to say not expressing himself, but there's no, there's no sentences to kind of tell you who he is. There's no moments with other characters where you're really trying to kind of, okay, like, you know, he's an asshole. He's funny. He's whatever. Like he is, he's nothing but like, like the only way I can explain it is like, he's a courage, the cowardly dog, but a person, I would say, you know, and I do think that Ari Aster has boiled that down to like the, the deepest point he possibly could. And had Joaquin Phoenix pull out this, like just murmur and cry and cower like the entire movie, like don't act like react. You know what I mean? Yeah. I think it's almost just comparing it to the way you said the other two, it's almost to me, hyper external whatever is happening to joaquin phoenix bow in this film because it seems like the anxiety he is is literally what the world has become around him and he is so how would somebody super or you know super anxiety filled react when everything you think is the worst thing that can happen is what the world that you live in 
So I think that how would that like you're talking about emotionally reacting to that is you probably would have no real words. You'd always be kind of like, I can't believe this is happening. I can't believe this is happening. I mean, he's he is literally like Courage the Cowardly Dog. Like he goes outside, he's like, (laughs) 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 and it's like it's it's so frustrating and pathetic, and he's such a loser. But then you're just like, what a loser. Yeah, you're just like dragged into hell. You know what I mean? Like by this guy who's like, you really do feel like Eustace. Like that damn dog. What is he? Yeah. What are you happening about? Because you know I, I, I think kind of a little getting ahead of sort of too is that the fact that they're at the end of the film's always Nari Astros, you either get like a speech or some type of action in the film that kind of valid cli- climactic moment, you know. That would kind of validate how the audience feels about the current person who's, you know, the, the main character or kind of validates where the film is really trying to spear you to feel about the character and because his mom kind of gives him, a, like how you said, a hereditary esque. He just kind of remixing his own stuff, um, type of, uh, I guess, just reprimanding him or just speech. I think it ends up kind of telling him everything that you would want to have been telling him the whole movie that you said. Yeah, exactly. Like where you're like, um, are you serious? <laughs> I don't want to spoil it really, but uh, I wanted to talk about the ending just a tiny bit because mm-hmm. I do think that in his progression, he has finally given us a different ending than. He did in the other two movies. Mm-hmm. You know, the other two movies are these very, like, dark, beautiful, fucked up moments, right? Of mm-hmm. like realization and become like or transformation and becoming like another version of yourself, like with Payment and Danny and stuff like that. And then I think that the ending we get here with Bo is um, totally different than the other two. And um, I think it was nice to see him uh, as much of the movie had like similar beats to the other two. Uh, I do think that the ending really was a, uh, it diverged from, you know, his, the paths that he's taken before. And I don't know if it's as satisfying the ending, but, um, that might just be the whole movie to me, not the actual, that part of the movie. Yeah. I do like the ending, but I, I, I find that the other two are much more satisfying at the end. They're kind of like a, like a nice exhale, you know? And I feel like you don't really get that chance to, get that here but i do think that like i said everything about the movie that kind of put me off i was like but is that intentional and then the fact that it is intentional it's like look at how good of a director you are that you're pulling my strings and then now i'm noticing that like wait i didn't feel that way but i now i I, wait what are you doing you know yeah it really is a director working the audience like quentin tarantino has talked about this before that when a director is really you know in his in his bag is when he can pull on a audience's strings like that like oh i'm gonna do something really fucked up raise the tension raise the tension and then boom now the whole audience is laughing right and then boom right back to tension and it's just playing with an audience because you can and i do think that um he's gotten that here yeah i i agree 100 percent um i think uh, something else i want to comment on that you brought up that i think uh because joaquin phoenix is almost like a twin flame here that that is the only reason this movie works yeah, I can't. I, I'm not even going to be like, oh, uh, I'm pretty sure this person could do it. No, it's it's perfect cast. I, I just mean like, uh, I'm I just literally what you're talking about. Like, I was trying to sit there and think about somebody who else who could probably make me feel like a cur- like a curly the curly dog kind of character like this, and it it really is only him. I don't know. Maybe like uh, just because I think he's got the range would be like. Uh, let's see, maybe Robert Pattinson. Yeah, that's the only um, one. 
The but because he's got kind of similar beats to like Under the Silver Lake, so I would say maybe Garfield. like Andrew Garfield, that type of character, that type of Odyssey, right? Uh, yeah, I mean maybe those two. I would say that good range. The the only reason why I I I, I could see them doing it, like if they got casted, I still think they do a good job. But I wouldn't believe the loser aspect, you know. I think Joaquin Phoenix. Yeah, I do think Joaquin he's a little Phoenix older. Definitely has that. Like I I feel like he's Hollywood's weirdo. Yeah. You know, where it's like he's such a big actor. He's so good at what he does, but he is a little he's a little bow in real life, honestly. And Jared Leto, huh? <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. Could have been Jared Leto. That would have been sick. That would have been better. Uh, yeah, but um I do think we should probably because we got ahead of ourselves a little bit, maybe kind of wind back, kind of talk about the cast a little bit synopsis here the little small synopsis that there is here yeah. <laughs> yeah why don't you go ahead with the synopsis i mean if it starts as from his darkest fears comes the greatest adventure a paranoid man embarks on an epic odyssey to get home to his mother and that's really the basis of the movie honestly yeah so ari aster has described it as jewish lord of the rings uh what would happen if you <laughs> pumped a 10 year old full of zoloft and told him to get your groceries uh, I love that. I do remember the first time I heard about this movie and the set picture of Joaquin Phoenix wearing the pajamas and he's bald and stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, they kind of, you know how when these reports come out very, very early when the movie's still kind of either being written or it's not even being fully, pro- it's not even halfway through production yet. You'll get like a synopsis that kind of is, throws you, throws you off the scent a little bit. It was like a lifelong odyssey of a successful businessman. And oh. Yeah, so it's like okay, maybe at one point that was kind of the uh, the take, you know, like that's how the story was gonna go. Because I know that a rough draft of this was on the internet in 2014. Because there's a short film. Yeah, I've I've heard about that. I haven't seen it or gotten a chance to really look into it much, but um, that synopsis, I remember thinking like, well, that's gonna be interesting, and then to see what we actually did get, uh. I don't think that they uh, under delivered or anything like that, but it's 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 not a movie you can really elevate or pitch to people. Honestly, like if you just tell, oh, it's a movie about a guy going to see his mom. How could you ever even begin to explain what it's going to be like? Or even if you tell somebody that and then you put on the trailer, you'd be like, that's the movie about a guy going to see his mom. Yeah, I I think I think maybe uh, because like you said, there was this script maybe out there in 2014, him knowing how much it's changed in his life and how much I'm sure he's become a better writer, a better filmmaker. Uh, maybe he expected that uh, the driving force of what he wanted in that other film, maybe we could, just for referencing here, when it was Disappointment Boulevard, right? Um, maybe what he was really trying to get the audience to feel he felt would be better executed with making the character Bo how he is now, um, which in all honesty seems to be the perfect product of a lifetime of gaslighting right yeah <laughs> uh so to get on the cast a bit i did think that the star of the guy who really stole the show was nathan lane obviously I he was <laughs> yeah. the best part of the movie other than joaquin phoenix he was so fucking funny he plays like a doctor kind of character it, it's, it's really hard to talk about the movie like pl- like plot details without giving a lot of it away so maybe we'll do spoilers in a in a little bit, but you know, he's like a doctor who's taking care of Bo. Um, and he's, he's married to Amy Ryan <laughs> and who would be uh, Holly from the office, 
would be the thing you would know her from the most. Uh, they're just like them two and Joaquin Phoenix are like that's the section of the movie where you're just like, what the fuck am I watching? You know what I mean? Like you, you're kind of like, has this totally gone off the rails? This is taking up too much time. Mm-hmm. You know, I was thinking like, where's all the shit from the trailer? You know what I mean? Like so all that animated stuff. And so much of this part of the movie was really where it kind of sunk into like, this is just like absurdly otherworldly 3 a.m. Adult Slim. What the fuck am I watching? Eric Andre written. Yeah, like Eric Andre, Tim and Eric, uh, Tim (laughs) Robinson type of humor, you know, just like ultimate cringe core, like irony funny you know like i don't even know how to describe it like i don't know if you've seen that nathan fielder was at one of the premieres and supposedly he was on acid or whatever yeah yeah. but uh you know i wouldn't be surprised if he had helped done some revising you know what i mean that's what that section of the movie feels like and maybe like i said me and you are kind of more attuned to this type of adult swim tim robinson type of nathan fielder humor yeah you know i'm already like i'm on this wavelength you know so yeah i I mean i I really enjoyed that part of the movie nathan for you and then the rehearsal does seem to be like aria would be ariaster's favorite show yeah yeah and um so maybe like you said we are just attuned to it so i'm that's not what i was expecting but when it turned into that i was so in for it still you know and um you got Jeeves, huh? <laughs> but I I like that you um, the uh, Nathan Lane character. It was because um, I I I haven't seen or I recognize his voice obviously. Well, he's Timon, obviously in the Lion King. And um, I looked into it after, and because uh, a while back, um, you know how Joaquin Phoenix had kind of not been in stuff for a while and he was there was a small period of time yeah like he he was like kind of i'm over it or whatever yeah yeah he was doing the whole like i'm semi-retired type of thing yeah and um there was like a documentary on him and um nathan lane is on it and i kind of it made me really feel like i wonder if they've had chemistry as well kind of the same thing they were talking about with um ari astra like this this cast seems like a lot of them have deep chemistry with each other and they kind of just understand the wavelength that the this whole film is operating on and i think that's at the end of the day why this film even really works i think anybody else really attempting something like this too early in their career might be uh might not have enough components to pull it off yet and i think um the fact that you know you get those really that that specific uh i would say hour of the maybe like 45 minutes of the movie yeah, right it's like 30 to 45 yeah it's a, good, um, it's a good chunk could be where i think people get lost but to me i think i just with those comedic aspects of nathan lane it just really kept me and ent- entertained honestly even so, though i wouldn't usually be i do think the smartest part of the casting of this movie was surrounding someone like joaquin phoenix who's very sh- i don't want to say straight laced but you know very down very kind of carrying that Arthur Fleck Joker thing into this. You <laughs> yeah. know, like, he's not funny. It's funny to make fun of him and how pathetic he is, but he's not funny. Yeah. But to surround him with this cast of seasoned comedic actors and stuff like that, I do think that that really helped the movie because um, I think comedy and drama can be two sides of the same coin. And I do think that because the comedic actors that they chose – are so willing to be you know out there and weird and that uh you know when you push the boundaries of comedy you're going to come up with some stuff that's kind of 
it could be like cringe core, like we talked about, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? But I do think that that's how you can get something so weird that feels so surreal is because someone like Nathan Lane, someone like Amy Ryan, who's been on the office, they understand that, uh, like what we're trying to do here, you know mm, what I mean? Yeah, I like and that. it's like, yeah, we're trying to be funny. So we're going to just come up with the craziest, wildest shit versus if, I don't know if you've got someone who's a more dramatic actor, uh, just to. I don't know. Let's just name anybody. If you put Kevin Costner in that role, he'd be like, but what's his reason? You know what I mean? Like, yeah. What, what is really going on here? What does this mean? And I Nathan like, Lane's like, let's just be funny. <laughs> I like that you said that. Cause right before I walked in here to record this with you, I saw a little bit that, um, uh, Al Pacino turned down being Han Solo because he didn't understand the role. And Harrison Ford's like, yeah, he's a space cowboy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And they like they were offering him a lot of money. And the only reason he didn't do it was because he didn't understand the character. Yeah, he's like, but what's Han Solo's motivation? <laughs> yeah, you know what I mean? Like, bro, Harrison Ford is like, he shoots guns? He's, he kisses chicks? <laughs> and uh, it's just perfect that you brought that up because I, I do think that's what it's fully leaning on to. Um, it is very Tim Robinson where you just have to buy into it. And it's either really funny to you or you're you're just you're just being too logical and being like, but this doesn't make sense. And like, all right, man, Be like, I, I don't know what to tell you. I, I, I do feel like it's a such a seasoned veteran move to do that, to make a whole movie based on that and to just make it because kind of drawing back a little bit to like the budget Um Again, we talked about it in Midsummer how the sets were really nice, and it seemed like every time they give him more money, he's making use of this money. I think here again, he makes real good use of his money. Honestly, he feels like he got. He feels like he was. He got two dollars worth for every dollar he spent. I was gonna say that, yeah. You know those sets. I mean, I I just from the from the beginning. Um, I don't think this is much of a spoiler, but in the community that he lives in. When you have the scene of like the, the guy who's just dancing to you know Puerto Rican radio music, just that so much so much action is going on in such a small frame, um, and I think he understands the language of cinema, the how anxiety ridden that is in an audience to try to be like, what is going? Okay, so what am I supposed to be focusing on right now? And I think it's like that puts you already in the mind frame of how Bo feels, and I think just to start the movie with such a simple move like that, just un- just to me just really shows that he understands he's in his bag. Like Going back to what Martin Scorsese said about the movement within the frame. So, yeah, like when you take a scene like that where you have a guy salsa dancing on the street and birthday boy stab man is stabbing somebody in the face and then you got somebody fighting in the laundry mat and all of this is going on and you're trying to figure out what the fuck am I supposed to be focusing on and then you start to feel like Joaquin Phoenix. Like That's masterful filmmaking, you know, where... Um, I would say the mainstream example that most people probably felt a couple years ago uh, was like uncut gems, right? Mm -hmm. Where like, oh man, I feel the anxiety when I watch this movie. I do think that Ari Aster masterfully got that across in that first 30 minutes. There is another movie in theaters right now that is very similar that has that aspect is uh, how to blow up a pipeline. Mm -hmm. And it does carry that whole thing of like the whole movie. You're like, holy fuck. You know, just like Uncut Gems, you're like, and I, I, those are my favorite movies, honestly. They always really, like, I can't believe you can make me, you know, Dog Day Afternoon, just make me feel this anxiety through the screen. I think it really shows to me, like, how really powerful cinema is. But I did want to bring this up because this is the second time that I saw it with you, and I found it funny that in that scene, Amy Ryan is there already, and giving the soup to, um, 
this really cool tatted guy with black Fox eyes. Hot. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Every time he touches something hot. Yeah. Uh, so again, just uh, detail that the the first time that I saw it, obviously I didn't really. I was like, oh, you know, somebody just giving food. But then after you know how much of an important character she becomes, you know, she's in the frame already from the beginning of the movie. So again, just really understanding. Um, Every time, again, like in Midsummer, when I watch it, you just catch so many other things that are there showing you um, more about the story that you might not have been able to catch. So to be able to fit so many things on the screen, just brilliant filmmaking. So we're about, we're pretty deep into this conversation now. So I would say, let's get this across. Are you, is this a movie you would recommend to people? Not people who listen to the show, because if you're listening to this podcast, you most likely know about this. You're probably going to watch it anyways. Uh, maybe you're on the fence and you're like, let's see what these guys say, you know. But the gener- the would you just tell anybody to watch this? No. No, right? Uh-uh. I kind of feel the same way. But I'm very interested in like, what. okay, when's the but 4K coming out? people to see it. When's right? the 4K coming out? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> like, exactly. You know what I mean? I'm very interested right? in owning it. Uh, but I, I, I don't know. I, it feels like one of those things where I'm like, there's people like me out there, but I don't know them. This is the... This is the uh, this is the uh, movie that you just kind of keep, and then whenever someone thinks they like like weird stuff, you're like, "Let's watch. Let's show me. Like, let's let's see this. I want to see your reaction to this." Yeah. And I think it was funny because that was that was how you felt about like Midsummer, right? Mm-hmm. So it was like it, it again. Has he su- did he succeed in what I think of him? I do think, yeah, in a weird way, and not in the conventional way that I would have thought it would have, but he really, uh, he, he, you know, I he's he's really, I think one of one right now it's really hard to compare him with other directors so now that we've uh kind of got our general thoughts out there we're about 35 minutes in so if you haven't seen this yet i would say definitely stop what you're doing go check it out come back listen to the rest but i think we can kind of talk spoilers we can talk details uh (laughs) caught myself there uh you know (laughs) i said talk but i also said cock and uh, (laughs) you know now that we're talking about the details of this movie that's probably one of the driving forces of this movie really is cock right yeah (laughs) um just (laughs) yeah i mean it's it's movie it's uh there's a huge cock right it's at the end kind of as a just pushing that proponent that that is really just not being able to nut is really the biggest driving component in this yeah, and sometimes your dad is a big, a, a giant yet small cock monster. <laughs> I mean, with made with special practical or with practical effects, a la John Carpenter. <laughs> I mean, <a> la- <laughs> <laughs> I mean, when I was, oh man, that's what that's I think a driving force of the thirty minutes I stood there in the car thinking about if I really liked it, if I didn't, lo- or if I did it, or loved it, or whatever. Was I'm like, because bro, that's Adult Swim. That's what that's I'm jackass. saying, dude. That's, that's 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 like levels of just <laughs> big dick. <monster. laughs> like, oh, like I had like, to. You really are just getting away with whatever you want. And <laughs> we, haven't, we haven't gotten into this too much yet. But there is a small proponent of 
critics and audience members alike who are kind of doing this thing where they they like to cosplay as studio executives and they're like, how could A24 do this? Oh, yeah. How would they spend $35 million on this? Don't they know that movies need to be at least 50% accessible to audiences to hold up their end of the responsibility? Insane. Like, bro, shut the fuck up. Watch the movie. Stop being a fucking nerd, bro. Like, literally just enjoy it. Like, I remember I told you yesterday, if this movie kills A24 and they go out of business because of it, good. I love it even more. Yeah. Like, <laughs> Oh man, that's what I mean. Is uh, um, yes, we need giant cock monsters. Yeah, I don't know what to tell you, bro. You know what I mean? So violent, too. Okay, when like that, Stranger when that Things reveal happens, I was like, James Wan ass movie. You know, like, <laughs> the master again, James Wan. Here he goes peeking his head. Like, whether you love him, you hate him, he's so influential, bro. Like that was the most James Wan malignant ass moment of the movie. Uh, I also thought of Hugo because yeah, we we brought that up in the attic. Twin brother, fifteenth <laughs> craziest reveal in this movie is that he has a twin brother that's been hiding in the attic the whole time. He's still wearing the kids' clothes, huh? Did you see that? Yeah. <laughs> oh man, he has a better hairline than him too. Oh, down bad. He's never even seen the sun. Uh, <laughs> some of my other favorite moments in this movie, I did want to talk about the beginning again because, uh, in terms of craftsmanship and filmmaking and all of that, Ari Aster's taken like a Steven Spielberg God level leap in his uh, production design and <laughs> levels of uh, mastery on these big like studio sets. Because when you're looking at the the street that Bo lives on, uh, it, it looks like something out of like I don't know. Like in the Heights or fucking War of the Worlds or like something, Steve, something that Steven Spielberg would or like uh, what's the not in the Heights? What's the one? Uh, West Side Story. You know, like it looks so fake, but it also is filled up with so much life that you're like, that's a movie. Like that feels like it's on the back lot at Universal. You know, I like all right. I, I you saying that just brought this weird analogy to my head um, that I think you you'd probably enjoy hearing is that um, another movie this kind of reminded me of was in a way White Noise. Right, they're just kind of fully buying into the, and they talk about how the movie is undoable. I think you could give it to Ari Aster; he could probably make it exactly how the book was supposed to be. Yeah, <laughs> be like that's what Bo is afraid when you feel because of what you're talking about. Because in White Noise, some of the beginning of it is the same thing where these sets are really nice, but in Bo is afraid, um, it almost works as a juxtapose to show how chaotic the world is. But a, hey, it really, um, just really shows off the camera work in the beginning. I think the the scene where he's kind of rushing into his hotel lobby and he just closes the door on that same actor that we talked about that's fully tatted. So we're saying everything's too hot. It just looks so much better than, I don't know, maybe 80% of the films that I've seen recently. It's just framed so amazing. And then, like you said, it has such, um, Ari Aster at the end of the day seems to be a very big nerd. Um, so some of the stuff that he writes as like what would be graffiti for this disgusting place, is kind of just funny to read. Yeah, like, it reminded me a lot of Cl uh, Clockwork Orange and the place that Alex lives. Yeah. Uh, so I wanted to shout out Fiona Crombie. She's the production designer, and I do think that this movie, uh, she's she's doing as much for this movie as Ari Aster or Joaquin Phoenix is, mm -hmm. because also on the level of uh, just craftsmanship, craftsmanship and mastery, I feel like this movie is just gorgeous to look at. Yeah. Um, I don't, I don't know if we mentioned in the previous episodes, but I believe that all of these movies are shot digitally, but they're, they're gorgeous movies. And I do think a lot of that does have to do with, uh, 
the production design as well, which in this movie is just insane. Every location, whether it be a beautiful place or a disgusting low-down rent-controlled apartment or whatever, is just so real and so lived in and also somehow surreal at the same time where like, yeah. it doesn't look like any apartment that... It, it, it looks like a figment of your imagination when you um, when you think of one of these places, you know, like the the house that Bo's mother lives in, or the God, so or nice. the uh, the woods that they're in when he kind of gets lost for a moment, or even the small little cottage that like Nathan Lane and mm-hmm. Amy Ryan uh, have. Every single piece of this movie is just beautiful to look at. I think it's uh, kind of goes back to what you said. He described it as Jewish Lord of the Rings. Every every place feels like mythological even though it's just a city and um i think kind of what draws a lot about that is um his mom um seems to be a very big almost like steve jobs type of character um she's like johnson and johnson mm-hmm. so like the like they make everything so the world is like corporate so that's why it looks that way but it is also this hyper realistic place so I-, I wanted to talk about since you brought that up uh movies that i think would be like a good like rubric or like a a reference point to maybe watch before or after if you want to see things that are similar so that like corporate absurdity and corporate takeover and like the way that the world is so fucked up because of all like it doesn't really put it on the on bo's mother but when you see like how deep deeply she is entwined into his whole life <laughs> it reminded me of sorry to bother you yeah that boots riley movie that we fucking absolutely adore and yeah. it's probably one of the weirder movies that we had seen up until this up until this you know what i mean like a net uh or sorry to bother you something like that um this is very much on that same wavelength but uh the similarities i saw there were like yeah that you know you see this little mw logo everywhere and you're like, what the fuck is this? It's on the medicine he takes. It's on the food he eats. It's on the walls everywhere. You, his apartment complex is owned by this company. And you're just kind of like, what the, f- what is like? Are we gonna find out like uh, the real villain here at the end is like pharmaceuticals or whatever? Because this is a common theme in all three of his movies. It's now. Gru, it's like huh? His characters being yeah, <laughs> his uh, his characters all being highly highly medicated people. Yeah. Um, but yeah, and then you get this reveal later on that kind of his mother is behind everything. So then it started making me think of like the Truman Show, and then like there's this aspect of the movie where he's on a he's literally on trial for being a bad son, and that reminded me of Albert Brooks's film Defending Your Life that I bought on uh, I bought the Criterion a couple months ago, and I watched that, and that movie is very much on the same wavelength as this one. Uh, it made me think of you know. The Big Lebowski. The Big it? Lebowski. It made me think of The Truman Show. It, it just made me think of so much. And that I know it's a one-of-a-kind movie, but I think it feels so one-of-a-kind because it takes away from so many of these other movies that we love or story tropes that we uh, always fall for and just uses them to, like, he just knows how to harness these things. And I, I don't even know how. I can't even tell you, like, what I felt but I know I, I felt something, you know, and maybe that's why I think of him as such a good director. I, I don't want to say he makes art house movies, but his artistic expression is something that I can't really put into words as much as I actually just feel it. You know, like his movies vibe with me the way that like music would, you know, like you're listening to a song and all of a sudden you're crying. You're like, why am I crying? You know what I mean? I, I don't feel that way about Bo is afraid, like crying or anything like that. But I'm just like, I feel. 
I understand what you wanted me to feel. And it's like, it's almost like a special moment between the director and yourself where you're like, I get it. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and I, I think that that's why this movie is, uh, I don't think it's going to be a wild success, but for the people who do like it, I think they're going to feel very similar to me where it's like, holy shit. Like, I feel like something was like downloaded into my brain where I'm like, wow, you really made me feel something, you know, not just walk out and be like, eh. Yeah, that's, that's such true. Cause I, I just think if you would have told me and I don't know, and if you kind of just draw out where this movie was heading, I don't know if I would like, I would be interested in the way that it sounds, but then the way that he films everything and then we haven't even really touched upon the animation scene um, or it's kind of, yeah, a lot of the animation that's done here is I think a main driving point of why I wanted to watch the movie, honestly. Um, so just all of these aspects, I think, really make me indulge and really fall into this world and really believe that it's a world that is obviously cinematically real, at least. Um, I just think there's too much detail here. They talk about world building in other movies. I think the world building here is amazing for a movie that it doesn't necessarily even really matter. But the fact that there's that much craftsmanship towards um, those things, I think, is what really even makes this somewhat of what makes this effective for me, I should say. Yeah, I, that's a really good point. Um, the movie is so unrealistic, you know, like it, it it takes like maybe something that David Lynch or Stanley Kubrick would do and kind of put you in this world where it's like, this is the real world or this is the future or whatever. Right. Like I couldn't help but think of Clockwork Orange or like Blue Velvet or um, Correct. Lost Highway or something like that, where it's like it takes place in the real world, but like in an alternate reality world where it's just these small little things that are not that different, you know, but just different enough to be like, okay, this can't be how life actually is. Right. And so I, I really thought of a clockwork orange because you're like, is this the future? But it doesn't seem like the future. Right. And I felt that way kind of about this movie too, where it's like, is this like a dystopian future or kind of like, sorry to bother you where it's like, is this like an alternate reality of San Francisco? But the director's actually trying to say, like, this is how I actually see these things, you know? Yeah. I found it really interesting that when I first was watching it, I thought this movie would, for some reason, set <clears throat> in 2013. And I think it's because he grabbed the phone book and put it in the doorway. So I was like, oh, it must be 2013. But then um, there's obviously a scene here. Where it's such a shitty building that he lives in. I wouldn't be surprised if that's the last time. that Those have just been sitting there since and that's 2013. What, <laughs> and then, like, that's exactly what it was. Because, I mean, there's the headstones. Later, we see headstones for... Obviously, don't want to spoil it, but... Um, it says 2022, so. Okay. Wow. <laughs> yeah. I, I actually didn't catch that in the beginning or uh, in the movie. Um, I don't know. What is some th- What are some things you want to talk about, like moments? I, I uh, will say that uh, the kind of uh, moments that I did want to bring up, we talked about when well, he's we in the- We spoiler territory, so you can say whatever. True. Um, when we were in the forest, um, the play scene- um, I just, I just, I think I really liked the aspect of them kind of even setting up that him changing into the outfit. They like to merge the stories as with the audience and the actors. Um, I just really enjoyed that segment, even though it seems pretty random and does has nothing to do with the story. I just thought it was really well executed, and then I just really like that it's um, comedically cut off by. Um, the the um the other Jeez, characters yeah character that's hunting 
Uh, he's being hunted halfway through the movie. Yeah, so <laughs> by by uh, a soldier who was in Caracas, Colombia, for some reason. I think he was, I don't know, I guess it assumes he's fighting the cartel or something. But there was, for some reason in this world, the U.S. had had war in Caracas or something. So he is an interesting character, but he kind of comes in and comedically, um, in a very violent way, and this really cool artistic whole um, sequence that we had. But I thought it was really interesting that, you know, he really knows how to push up those scenes with blood and violence. But there's, in, in this specific scene, he like shoots himself in the <laughs> shoulder with <laughs> so like the guy trips the machine gun and he falls on his Uzi or whatever. Yeah, Uzi, using, yeah. And it just rifles into it. It's just like duh, 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 duh. he like switch cheeses himself. But then he shoots the guy behind him too. Yeah. He still kills him too. And I, I just think stuff like that is I wanted to bring up that scene because it's it, it it seems like something obviously just really fast. But I think to be able to still make you said like Quentin Tarantino that he's drawing strings from you for me to be like wow and awe of how artistic it is. And then it just ends up becoming really funny because of the scene of this guy shooting himself in the shoulder. Um he just has me in the completely in my seat and he's enthralling me in every complete way and and I'm there for it. And um, even when I walked out, I just was trying to explain or trying to justify to myself as to why he's able to do that. And I think at the end of the day, it's just because he, like I said, um, he's just a really, really good director. Yeah, so that sequence in the uh, film, Bo, is, uh, he has escaped from his, they're not really captors, you know? But yeah. He escapes from the place where they've been uh, rehabilitating him, or have they been? You know exactly. Uh, we haven't even really gotten to the that aspect that's of the a, movie yeah, yet. That's a whole but movie. I did want to I did want to harp on this a little more. The artistic expression there in the in the children of the forest or the orphans mm -hmm. of the forest or whatever, with all the animation and the stage craftsmanship and the this long alternate life path sequence that Bo sees. Uh, you know, there's this play going on that is his own life basically um just being seen from a different perspective which is very meta because we as the audience are seeing his life you know it's just, it's just all of this stuff and i think that's the best part of the movie and not because it uh i don't want to be like oh it's the most artistic part just because of all of the yeah because of the mixing of uh mediums because of all of that stuff i just think it's because that's where someone like ari aster can finally step up and be like you know what i've I've commanded enough respect as a director that I can take a 25 minute detour. Mm -hmm. And it's not that it doesn't have anything to do with the movie, but it's just, I, okay. So I don't think saying it has nothing to do with the movie is like exactly valid. I think it's more that we've kind of lost, we've kind of lost this in the era of like, Oh, the runtime, the runtime, you know, is like, well, what, what's the point of that 25 minutes? And it's like, what, who cares? You know, yeah. like I did think when I walked out of it, I was kind of just like, you know, the thing I was the most excited for, I didn't think it had as much to do with the movie as I wanted it to, which was all that stuff. But then the more I thought about it, I'm like, that I really like that though, because it's like almost like, and it, it's a weird comparison, but like that middle hour of Avatar, the way of water, where they're just Oh, it's a nature documentary. It's so much, it's so boring. They could have cut all this out. And it's like, yeah, but that's a director with power going like, I'm going to put you in this world. I'm going to put you in this moment and you're going to experience this for no other reason than I want you to. And I like this. And I think this is something that you should be along for the ride for when, yeah, it could be two minutes and that's it. But you know, Metaphorically and literally, Ari Aster's been swinging his dick around in this movie. So I do. I do think it's one of those moments of just like, no, I have you here, and you're in my control, and I'm gonna take you on this ride. And 
it's one of the more enjoyable parts of the movie because it's something I never would have expected to see from Ari Aster, but also a little disappointing because in my head when I was hyping up how weird this movie was going to be and I'm seeing Joaquin Phoenix walk through a cardboard field of <laughs> yeah, like, looks like Wizard of Oz or whatever. I honestly was kind of hoping that more of the movie was like that. Like I wanted the movie to take place in this weird Wizard of Oz elf looking cardboard cutout world, you know? I was almost more down for that. So then when we're taken out of that, I was kind of like, damn, like that's that's the kind of weird shit I want, you know? Is Joaquin Phoenix is in a 2-hour movie that's takes place in a cardboard cutout world. Yeah, where it just <laughs> completely is animated to its uh, in a way, so simplistic, but then also... I'll have to wait for Asteroid City. <laughs> <laughs> like, cause I was like, damn, he's in his Wes Anderson bag, you know? But I do I do think that um, in any other director, the emotional resonance that is taken through that sequence could have been done, I don't know. Uh, you could say that the audience probably already feels uh, Bo's realizations through the end of that sequence, but um, at the end of the, at the end, when you kind of find out that this has all been kind of a trial for him as a son kind of find out how a lot of these things um set up <clears throat> like validating moments for Bo as a character but also for his mom to judge him on and i think that's when you end up kind okay, of finding so out let's kind of let's let's use this as a moment to talk about the the main point of the movie or what the movie's really about right we'll talk about the two movies that i think are the main comparisons for this and then this is kind of like how we'll wrap it up and everything right so it takes you about, what, two hours, two hours and 15 minutes to finally get some kind of, like, narrative structure reason for why the movie is taking place, right? You you really are on this whirlwind ride of, like, what is this movie, right? But then you get a reveal that his, essentially his whole life, right? Not just moments of his life, but his whole life have been controlled by his mother, mm -hmm. right? So it's like... Here we go again. Ari Aster, two out of three movies about mommy issues. <laughs> and he's going to, he's been going on this quest for essentially no reason, right? He thinks his mother's dead. He, he feels deep down inside that he knows this is not true, right? And when he gets there to find out that she's not dead, it's like you said, it's, this has all been a kill evidence and a trial that's going to take place <laughs> which is like that's where like the alternate fucking uh what's that movie that uh don't want to talk about Mel Al idiocracy uh, no sorry like something like idiocracy we're like what is this yeah. you know but yeah that's where the defending your life comes in of like going on trial for his whole life on whether he was a good son or not and that's really what the movie boils down to like if you really want to try to describe it in a way that someone will understand is that a man goes on a journey and at the end is put on a trial by his mother to see if he's been a good son or not but it's also um what makes it the really interesting part is like you said it seems like um he's been drugged his whole life or he's been part of a capitalistic like like this is the the child of this, this brand, you know what I mean? Yeah, so we see for a long time that he was the face of his mother's. Oh, so we'll get to this too. That MW logo we're seeing everywhere. Um, this is where like that Truman Show, sorry to bother you aspect comes in. His mother owns the building that he lives in. She owns the pharmaceutical company of the drugs that he takes. The food she the eats. The food that he, the microwave shit food that he eats. Uh, we we see that she's given him access to like credit cards and stuff like that. So like he probably doesn't have a real job, 
you know, that cell phone is probably like MW cells. You know what I mean? Uh, that there's cameras in his, in his building that he lives in because we see this hilarious moment of him descending down a staircase with all these moments in his life. And then you see a snapshot of the moment he found out his mother was supposedly dead. And yeah. <laughs> that was one of the funniest touches in the movie. It's like, the latest picture she has is him just standing there. When it's he already framed. That mom is dead. Yeah. <laughs> that's what I mean. You just got to buy into it, man. Yeah, so those are the small things that you just have to like, okay, that's the reality we live in, right? Yeah. Um. So it's kind of surprising to me that it took this like Truman show defending your life twist with Ari Aster thrown in the middle. But I think it's, uh, if I want to say what this movie is really about, it's about but guilt really more than anything you know the other two movies are about like trauma loss how we react to those things like family and stuff like that but this one while it is about family while it is about trauma while it is about all that i think the main thing here is guilt which i don't think we really felt as heavily in the first two like i know in hereditary she's like i feel blamed you know what i mean and and in midsummer she kind of she can kind of make herself feel guilty about anything, even if it's not her fault. But I think that that is the driving force of this movie is just pure guilt. And everybody, like, yeah, what everybody, being a yeah. guilt-ridden, anxiety-filled, medicine-filled son feels like. That's why I said I feel like it's hyper-external because Bo's anxiety guilt is so huge. Um, that stems from his mom, um, obviously her supposedly feeling guilty uh, that the dad died when they had sex. Um, and just obviously leaked into her son. But um, Bo is the son of this corporation that kind of runs the world. And it seems like his external anxiety has gone through the world. So that's how we get Nathan Lane and um, Amy Ryan. Obvious guilt over the son that's been dead and trying to replace him. Um, the daughter obviously has guilt too towards that same sentiment, which is a whole other thing we haven't even touched about. Um, and then you have it. Like you said, his ultimate guilt that he, the whole movie is filled by, um, which it, it sometimes, you know, for a film like this, some people are like, oh, what's the point of that? For me to be able to still find those values in it, I think, again, just points to you could say all this stuff is random or you're just pulling it out of his ass. But there's definitely a direction of this absurdness and a point that he's trying to get to very similar to Nathan for you or, you know, the you know I thought about this this morning that the movie starts with a black screen and this crazy sound and you realize yeah. what's happening about 10 seconds and you're like, Oh shit, it's birth. Right. So he shoots this birth sequence and kind of from the moment he's born or brought into this world, it's almost like that trauma and that anxiety of being born is carried. Cause okay. So he, like he's born, right. And he comes out and he hears his mother screaming. She's in pain. She's freaking out. And then it cuts to him at his therapist's office, probably like 50 years later, right? He's probably about 50 years old. Yeah, I would say that. And it almost feels as if that never left him. Like, it's just like he was born and he caused her pain. And then 50 years later and nothing's changed. You know, he still feels like a baby the day that they were born. And it it took me some time, obviously, because it was almost 24 hours later. I was like... He set that up from the very beginning. The very first scene of the movie is like, look, I, look at the, the pain I've caused my mother. Because that's kind of like what the Bo's biggest gripe in the world is, right? And like why he's like this is because the constant pain and disappointment, which is probably why this movie used to be called Disappointment Boulevard mm -hmm. at some point, which is probably a better title, honestly. But I a think little so. too on the nose. And maybe that's why he didn't do it. 
Um, because it'd be like literally he traveled down Disappointment Boulevard, Boulevard to get to his mom's house, right? Yeah. But it really is just disappointment after disappointment and lie. And, you know, there's a moment where he's like, I'm not going to make it. She's like, it's fine. It's not fine. <laughs> you know yeah. what I mean? Like, it, it really is. Yeah. It really is all just there in the beginning. And you're like, okay, I don't know whose side to take because the mom is, you know, she's kind of spitting. <laughs> she's got a lot of facts yeah. here. But also she has played a huge part in why he's like this. And the more I've talked about it, the more I've thought about it. I really do like this movie more than the 20 minutes after I walked out of it. Um, but yeah, I, I just think this movie is so fucking good. And I don't even know how good of a job we're doing explaining this to anyone. I but that's kind of how it felt watching this. And yeah, he didn't make like a, he made like an anti podcast proof movie. You know what I mean? Or like we, we talked about the, in the car on the way home, the uh, the ending explained videos, right? Mm-hmm. And it's kind of like, you don't really need one for this because it isn't a movie that is unexplainable. It's just so surreal and out there and just like wacky. <laughs> you know what uh, I mean? Yeah, I think like that's what you said when you evoked um, David Lynch is... I, I think Ari Aster is more open to answering your questions on this movie, and you could ask him and pick his brain, but I think ultimately there is no answer to what the movie is supposed to say. It is more of an emotionally driven anxiety. Let me. How do I put this emotion into the craziest possible way? How do I show off every visual as or every aspect of cinema, which would come down to acting, you know, cinematography, being able to mix mediums? How do I push that completely to just give you a story that um, ends up making you feel as confused and as anxious as somebody like Bo would be in this world um maybe that doesn't deliver for some people but the fact that it's set up for three hours I think really lets you like you said you you get those 40 minutes with um Nathan Lane and his family and it's because so much weird shit happens there you get so many more questions based off of that um all that ultimately I think only end up when you put all these questions together at the end after you watch the movie, it signals to you of what type of movie it is. And I think, um, like you said, the more I sat on it, um, obviously, like if we have, there's issues with the movie certainly, but I, I just think it's 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 my gear. It's it's this type of stuff that I love seeing, and it's the type of stuff that I think um, people will talk about for years to come. Yeah, I think it's going to be pretty influential in like 10, 15 years. I think there's going to be a lot of filmmakers who are. Oh, like, I th- I took a lot from Bo is Afraid. You know, I used to watch that movie all the time. Yeah, it's a, it's a special one. I think so. And, I, I mean, obviously, this is, uh, we, we've spent all of April talking about Ari Aster. Um, even that seems to match up very perfectly. Ari Aster, April, right? Um, it's just everything about him seems very calculated. And even something that might seem as ridiculous as this still comes from a lot of knowledge and passion and um i think somebody could try to attempt to do this but i I think it does take a certain amount of maturity and uh, understanding of the craft to be able to still pull off what emotional resonance you want with the audience for this because um like you said this movie does seem very i thought about it for a long time uh it's very hard to talk about it and not just go down to how you felt about the um um film and kind of just being very expressionistic with it it's very hard to just kind of narratively put it together um it it is also like i i feel like we don't really want to anybody who is interested and listens to the podcast i don't want to take anything interesting that you might get from yourself i mean i am very interested in seeing people's different 
people that love this film, I'm very interested to see why they really like this film, you know? I think it's going to be kind of cut down the middle. Or, well, not cut down the middle, but I think it's going to be very simplistic. I think the people who hate this movie are going to hate it for the reasons that people love it. I don't yeah. think it's going to be very distinguished between, like, no, this is exactly what's wrong, or, like, oh, it made me feel alienated. And then people are going to be like, yeah, that's what I loved about it. Yeah, that yeah, it made me feel like that, yeah. you know? So... It's it really is going to be like a Rorschach test, kind of just hold it up. Like, I don't know. What do you think when you look at this? And I do think that that's the intention. And I love that we have somebody like Ari Aster. I mean, I'm sure he's not the only one. He's just one of the more popular filmmakers today that's really there to kind of not just make you uncomfortable, but really kind of just question, like, what can a movie be? And like, maybe what people are supposed to feel when they walk out of the movie. I mean, I've completely, and we've talked about this before, I mean, like I've completely vouched and said to be like some movie like Possession is one of my favorite movies ever and that lives in the same stratosphere as this, you know? And like, yeah, so I do think as well because I think, I think of more artistic movies as the ones where it's like it doesn't have to make the most sense, but it's in a, it, if you open yourself up to it and you're willing to uh, reset, like be receptive to those emotions or the world that you live in that it works more that way Saint so Maud. like possession yeah when you're watching her freak out in the alley and you're like when you're watching it with logical critic eyes you're like it's the stupidest fucking thing <laughs> <laughs> it is, it is bad <laughs> cringe okay <laughs> what is all this white milk shit you know what i mean but when you're like i just accept this as it is and i'm in for it you're like what the fuck you know and i could do that with i could do that with creed 3 i could do that with john wick and i can do that with Bo is afraid you know i think that's one of the reasons i love movies so much is because i look at them in a emotional sense like that for me will always be how i view movies is in the emotion first so if I've already turned on those receptors, like I'm a sucker, you can get me, you know, you can get me with the most basic narrative structure of a hero's journey, or you could get me with something absolutely wild and insane like Bo is afraid. And I think that's one of the beautiful, I think that's one of the beautiful things about movies that make them like truly art, you know? Yeah. I mean, when we, you know, when you spend as much time as we do watching movies, we've, we've kind of experimented with the range there, you know, you do watch, uh, real artsy movies that are just there is no narrative logic the movies that we make fun of that is in the office like you know the, the director maybe thought even narrative was comforting yeah so we so we've i mean we've watched the movies like that but then we'll also watch something like the, uh you know super mario brothers which is the most prototypical um narrative story structure that's existed for years um i just think that sometimes you can only you you only start to appreciate the films like the ones that I appreciate the most are when those two things kind of collide and when you can find out and can kind of see that the director kind of draws from both and um Bo is afraid even though it may seem like it's leaning more on the artsy side I still think is a very a um impressive culmination of the two things that I like which is big filmmaking and um you know emotional resonance I would say or having a mission statement a goal and a, a way to have your audience feel at the end um the other two like you said um mid seemed like you know if you went with somebody that you liked you might have um this discussion you know about like oh does he deserve that does he not and hereditary you kind of like what the hell but like you, you're having your family curse and in Bo's afraid i just think you kind of just um walk out like you said questioning the movie but i think because of a lot of the stuff that you said he said before, that this is intended intended goal. And I think that's hard, honestly, yeah. so, to pull uh, off. 
let's talk about this will be pretty fast for me at least the, uh, the rankings i rank them one two three in the order they've come out but i don't i think they're all very good they're all my children that i love equally you know <laughs> but the, of course my first one's my favorite one like <laughs> But you know, second and third are they're they're no slouches. I love them all the same. Um, go ahead. I know you have you have the same ranking, but also it's more that just well. Go ahead. I don't want to step on it. What's well, like one three two for me? I I um I think fully leaning into the three hour movies, comparing Miss Midsummer and Bo is Afraid. Um, while obviously Danny is a better character than uh. Bo, um, I think to just see him fully leaning into something like this and uh, have him have me feeling the way that I do um, about Bo is afraid. I think it just like like you said at the end of the day, I think all three of these are really good and um, but it just slightly inches out. Um, well, because yesterday you told me that you felt that they were equal, so it was like one, and then they're tied for second place. Yeah, but it's like it's one of those movies that the, the more that I sit on and think about um, its existence and like when, when we talked about Midsummer, Midsummer kind of talked about like, damn, this movie long as hell, you know, and the, the, I do feel that way. And, and Bo is Afraid is very long, too. I feel that way even more when I watch Bo is Afraid. <laughs> but uh, like um, the fact that it, I can't draw comparisons to what other thing that I saw that is like comparable to it. And then like, you know, I, I brought up in midsummer it's like goes the wicker man all these other things that i think are pretty similar to it i think is at the end of the day the uniqueness inches out uh midsummer for me but i there's just obviously differences between them but i do think uh, hereditary is safe at number one that's not a question nice nice so we can agree there um just to close this out the last thing i wanted to bring up was his next movie which has not been announced or anything yet, but it's been reported that it will almost certainly be a Western. So that gets me excited because I love the idea of him leaving horror behind maybe even more. Yeah. And being like, okay, now it's time to do my Western and then maybe he'll do a sci-fi movie. Who knows? Right. But, uh, we don't really have anything to go off of yet, but that's exciting stuff. Right. An this, Ari Aster yeah. Western movie. I can only imagine what kind of weird shit we're going to get into there. So, that has me really excited. This reminds me of like, um, you know, Martin Scorsese had that film in the eighties that was just like this really weird After Hours. No, the the um, I've seen it before. It's High Mom or something like that. Oh yeah, I know what you're talking about. Yeah, like that's a ultimately. Is that I feel him? like I thought that was Brian De Palma. Let me make sure I I cannot find it. You know, while while you're while you're looking yeah, at sorry. it. Yeah, um, sorry. After speaking of Scorsese and stuff like that, After Hours is one of the movies that the first forty-five minutes of Bo is Afraid reminded me of. After Hours is so good, yeah. Uh, and then another thing that I I had been seeing on Twitter and laughing at all week is how Martin Scorsese did a Q and A. He did a session with him, right? Oh, he and did Brian De Palma. Everybody was saying how uh, they were like filmmakers work their whole lives for someone like Martin Scorsese to acknowledge him and be like, I accept him. He's the next one or whatever. And they're like, and Martin Scorsese he's constantly chasing Ari Aster around, finding him down, trying to kiss him in the mouth, talking about how much he loves him. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. No, yeah, you're right. It is uh, Brian De Palma, but it does remind me a lot of just having this high mom kind of like, there's this movie in between your cinematography that people are like, what the fuck was that? Um, but when you go and revise it, you're like, no, this was still him in his bag. You just don't get it. And I kind of feel that way about this one. 
Nice, nice. So I think that wraps us up, right? Yeah. Nice. Okay. So uh, like, subscribe, comment, do all the things. Tell us if you loved it. Tell us if you hated it. I'm sure you guys are going to have some divisive opinions, and I can't wait to hear them. Uh, Thank you for checking back into the Grand Cinema Hotel. Bye-bye. Bye.